The reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and can I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 11 as we go through it? As you know, we've been going through this series, uh, Responses to Jesus, uh, resp- uh, Responses to the King. And, and this is, uh, 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 today we'll see how Jesus invites us to be his disciples. But uh, keep your Bibles open. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it invites us to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus. And Lord, would you now speak to each of us, each of our hearts and each of us, each of our minds, and help us to respond in following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a survey done um, by the Barna Group, um, one person gave his reasons for why he hates religion. He says this, religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict, and may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. Well, this is not completely true. It really depends on what the uh, claim is. If Jesus' claim is to come and follow me and love your enemies, turn the other cheek, well, I don't think that, that sort of extremism, following Jesus in that way, will lead to violence or strife. It will lead to peace. But I understand what he means. Right? And we know that the terrorists in 9-11, well, it was because of their certainty, because of the certainty of their belief, they hijacked and rammed the plane into the World Trade Center. It's the reason why a lot of extremists are trained in natural sciences. Uh, they see the world in black and white. They can't see the, uh, the, the world in gray. If they see uh, the world in, in, in terms of good versus evil, well, sometimes that leads to violence and extremism in that sense. But it is right that Christianity, well, Jesus makes extreme and exclusive claims. If we read these words from Jesus in Matthew 11, we can't really see it in any other way, can we? Take a look at the astonishing claim that Jesus makes about himself in this passage. Verse 27 and on, all things have been committed by my Father to me. All things. Let's brush aside the fact that Jesus calls God the Father, right? He says this 30-plus-year-old man is standing in front of his disciples and all these people around him. He's saying, actually, that God has entrusted running of the world, the mechanics of the world, a plan of salvation to me, to me. He then only says, he says that only the Father knows him. He will be an eternal mystery beyond uh, the the grasp of the disciples and theologians, all the people who study him, right? Isn't that true? I mean, think about who Jesus is. 
He's fully God and fully man. How can that be? How can he be fully God and fully man? And what does it mean uh, for him to hold the universe together? And what happened on the cross? What happened at the moment that he died? Well, these things we'll never know. These are beyond uh, our, our knowledge, beyond the grasp of, 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 of us. It takes a God to know God. And Jesus is saying, only the Father will know him. But the next claim is even more astonishing. Verse 27, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's quietly claiming that the only way for anyone to come to know God is through him. If he chooses to reveal God to them, this is an exclusive claim, right? There's no other way to read this. Notice, though, as Pastor Tim Keller says, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, actually, you can't be good without him, right? You can be moral. A, a Jew or a Buddhist or a Muslim or even an atheist can be moral without Jesus, right? That's possible. Some are far better than Christians. He also doesn't say that we can't be wise or happy without him. I mean, some people, seem, apart from Christ, seem to actually live a fairly happy life, a wise and good life. He doesn't say that you can't know about God apart from him. People know about God, don't they? They know the greatness of God, that God is powerful, that he's made the world, that God might be full of beauty as they see the beauty around them. You can know many things about God. Look at the claim again. Jesus says, you can't know God apart from him. And you know that in the Bible, often the word to know is to know, to describe this sort of personal relationship. Adam knew Eve. God knows us. But we can't know God personally, except apart from Jesus. I think about it this way. How do you know anybody? How do you know your friends? Well, it's because they, you, you might say, it's because you spent a lot of time with them. But actually, time itself doesn't allow you to get to know somebody, right? Because you can spend a lot of time with somebody, but unless they reveal themselves, unless they give you that access, reveal their thoughts and minds, actually, you won't be able to get to know this person, right? They need to let you know. And the situation is even worse to somebody who is, quote unquote, above you. How would you ever get to know the Queen of England? Well, she needs to give you access to her, right? And when you sit down with her, she needs to start telling you what she's thinking, what she's feeling, how she's feeling. That's the only way that you will get to know this queen. You see, God is like that. God is beyond us. God is beyond our knowledge. And unless God speaks, unless God reveals himself, we can't know God. And Jesus is saying that that's how you know God. If you see me, I'm the way that you access God because I am God himself. And through me, you get to know the goodness of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, the love of God. How he's humble and compassionate and uh, uh, gentle. You can only know God through him. But more than that, we come to know God personally through Jesus. As we see shortly, we're invited to be his disciples. 
you know, that God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit have been enjoying this personal relationship, this intimate relationship in the Godhead, in the Trinity, in the mystery of the Trinity. And through Jesus, we're invited to come to know God in that way, in that personal way. And without Jesus, God is then, God will remain some philosophy, some impersonal force out there impersonal power, but through Jesus we'll come to know God. And this is why. This is why the Christian life starts with a prayer, doesn't it? When you became a Christian, you sat down and you closed your eyes and you prayed to God. You asked God to come into your life, to come so that you would come to know Him personally. It's this personal invitation. Can be, that, that invitation can only be made because of Jesus. And it's not just the way that it starts. That's the way that our relationship with God is sustained. As we read and hear from God's word, and as we talk back to him in our prayer, in that two-way relationship, our relationship with God is sustained. So church, I want to ask, how is, uh, do you know about, do you just know about, uh, do you know Jesus? uh, Do you know Jesus or do you just know about him? Because we can come to know God and have that relationship through Christ. How's your personal devotions, worship life, prayer life? But only those who are humble, who are humble will come to know Jesus, uh, come to have this relationship with him. So if you can look back uh, to a few verses back to verse 25. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, learned and revealed them to, the, to little children. What, what does Jesus mean? That God has revealed these things to little children. I think at the heart of it is humility. Because think about it. Little children, when they get curious about something, when they, come, when they want to learn something, they come to their parents. They ask questions to their parents. Why are, flamin- why are flamingos pink? Why do we have to take a bath every day? <laughs> why is the sky blue? You know, if Barney came and asked me these questions, I would say something like, well, flamingos are pink because they eat um, crustaceans and little shrimps that make them pink. It's true. And uh, you have to take a bath every day because, well, it's hot and it's dirty outside and you play it outside and, and, and we need to take a bath every day. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. <laughs> I might say it's God's magic <laughs> that, 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 that uh, the sky is blue. But here's my point. When Barney comes and I say these things, even the things about the sky, well, Barney believes me because I am the authority to him. I know more than him, and he comes to learn from me, right? He comes as my child, but the wise and the learned what they consider themselves equal to God. What they consider true is what they think is true. You know, God can say all these things, but unless they think that it is true, they will not believe it. They consider themselves equal and arbiters of truth. Right? That's what happened to the cities. The Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum that we talked about last week in verse 21 and on. Right? They were given all these evidences of God. Right? Jesus lived among them. He taught among them. He did all these miracles. And yet, they were still considering the evidences. And they weren't coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are God. I need to learn from you. Well, they didn't repent. 
because they consider themselves as wise and learned, equal to God. They did not have the humility to come before Jesus and recognize Jesus as who he was. You see, Jesus will make that invitation in verse 28. Come to me, take my yoke and learn from me. And Jesus is saying, look, I am God incarnate. Come and learn to live, how to live from me. And only those who have that humility, that teachability of a child, will be able to have that relationship with Jesus, with God. And of course, I want to say, this doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. Of course, you do need to ask questions, and especially if you are uh, exploring the Christian faith, ask questions, right? These three cities that I mentioned before, the, the, it wasn't that they didn't, um, it, it, it wasn't that they, uh, Jesus was asking them to uh, uh, come to him blindly. He did all the miracles. He, he taught um, in a way that convinced the world that he more than just a little rabbi. Right? He was given, he gave them the evidence. But actually, at some point, as you're exploring, at some point, you do need to adapt the attitude of a child before him. Because that's what we are before Jesus. That's what we are before God. We need to say to God, God, come and teach me. Come and teach me. And I tell the story every three years or so, and I think it's about time that I retell the story again. The most significant point, event in my life was when I was 19. I had a 16-year-old cousin uh, who committed suicide in my second year in university. And it was the toughest time in my life. I, I, I stopped going to church. I cried a lot. Sadness just became part of my life. And for months, I was in that state. And my friends, uh, this was my second year, and we, uh, around February, we had spring break, and uh, we all decided to go down to Florida. Uh, not the wild kind of things. It was like a retirement community with these three young men. Um, and so I went there, and it was beautiful. Every night, well, the highlight was, oh, for me was going to uh, a walk down on the beach every night. And to get down there, right, I had to go from, leave the condo and go across the sand dune and go to the beach. And as I came sort of across the sand dune, I was leaving behind all the lights of the, the city behind me. And all I could, uh, could see in front of me were stars. There are countless stars in front of me. And this thought struck me. It's something that somebody said a long, long time ago, before, that some of those stars, the light, they are so far away. They, they, they're light, um, millions of light years away. And by the time that the lights of those stars reach down to Earth, actually, the, that star might have been extinguished. It might have died. And then it struck me. The universe is unimaginably big. And I'm just a little speck. I'm unimaginably small. And then I realized, God is big. God is unbelievably big. You know what? And in that walk, I started weeping because I then realized that that unimaginably big God came down, became one of us, and died on the cross for me and for my cousin. I didn't understand. I couldn't understand why my cousin died. I had to die. I didn't understand why God was ruling the world in that way, but I understood that it wasn't because he wasn't loved. That God loved me unimaginably more than I could imagine, and God loved my cousin. 
you know what, that day, I became a, I became a child. I became a child who, who understood that God was bigger than me. And I, you know, I still ask questions. There are many, many questions that I have, uh, and I still ask God, but my attitude came to be completely different. When I ask questions, I no longer go, how could you? Right? I want to learn. I want to learn about who God is and how uh, he's running the world. And if you aren't a Christian yet, maybe this is one of the reasons why you haven't turned to Christ, why you still resist him, because you consider yourself wise and learned in front of God. Friends, you need to adapt the attitude of a child, that humility. God is not your equal. And if you are a Christian, it's a good reminder, isn't it? When you ask questions, how do you ask? Do you ask as a child coming to your parent? Or do you ask as a professor going to your equal? Only in that humility can we have a relationship with God because that's who God is. And this is then the invitation, the greatest invitation that's ever been made. Verse 28. Come to me, all, who you, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that invitation contains all the things actually we've talked about already. The greatness of Jesus. Jesus doesn't point to somewhere else. Jesus doesn't say, I'll lead you to God. Jesus doesn't lead you to some philosophy. Jesus says, come to me. If you are weary and burdened, come to me because I will give you rest. And then he asks us to come with humility because who are the weary and the burdened? Well, all those people who do not have Jesus as their master, as their Lord. Yeah, Jesus doesn't say here, take, I mean, Jesus says, take my yoke. He doesn't say, take on a yoke. Yeah, because he assumes, actually, everybody is yoked. Everybody is toiling and working. We are beasts of burden that's doing something, that's tired, yoke around our necks. It might be our idols. It might be some philosophy of life. And whatever our master is, whatever that we live for, if that is, if, if it's not for, it's not, if it's not Jesus, it's making us tired because uh, all these things then are, are linked to our performance. Uh, you've heard the list before, money, fame, status, academic success, or even something like um, more righteousness, even something like justice on earth. Right? If that's the master that we live for, then actually we will grow tired because we are constantly working to get it. Our identity is tied with it, tied to it. If you don't have it, for example, you will be working to get it. If you have some measure of it, you are either trying to get more of it or to maintain it. And say that somehow you've gotten to the, more, the, the, the top. You know, the top of your profession, top of um, whatever, you know, it's not easy to maintain <laughs> that place. Just ask anybody who's been at the top, um, um, uh, Phelps or uh, Michael Phelps or uh, Hussein Bolt, right? It's not, it, it takes a lot of work to maintain your position at the top. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. 
This then is the invitation. Jesus says, come to me and switch your master. Come to me and receive Jesus himself as our master. If you're like me, I didn't know what a yoke was. <laughs> a yoke is a tool that the farmer uses to control the cow or, or the beast, right? It controls, you know, the, the, the farmer um, might use the yoke to take the, 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 the cow to go left or to right or to go straight. That's what a yoke is. Jesus is the farmer here. We are the weary beasts. And Jesus is saying, come and take my yoke. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's inviting us to learn from him, to listen to him, and to obey him. And he's not a harsh master. He is gentle and humble. And he will give us rest for our souls. And he can do that. He can do that because not only is he the farmer here, is he the master here for us, but he's also taking on the yoke himself. Jesus is not just God, right? Jesus became a human being. He became a beast of burden himself. As you can see in this yoke, usually there are two animals there, right? And when we're toiling and tired, when we are working on our own to achieve and to earn, Jesus became one of us. And he takes that yoke upon himself. And he has done the work himself for us, living a life that we're supposed to live. And he is still yoked to us. And because he is, all that he's earned is ours. His status as a son of God is ours, as children of God. The defeat of death and the kingdom of God that is coming, the security that we can have with him as our father, all of that is ours to have. So Jesus says, come to me. You know, we can't find God ourselves. We certainly can't have a relationship with God by ourselves. We need Jesus. But as we come to him, we need the humility of a child. We need the humility of a pupil to say, teach me. Teach me how to live. We need the humility to have Jesus do the work for us and recognize that we can't do it ourselves. You can learn to be a moral person as an atheist. You can achieve a measure of success and contentment apart from Christ and other religions too. But apart from Jesus, you will not know God. Apart from Jesus, you will not know the peace and the rest that comes from the finished work of Jesus Christ. And apart from Jesus, you will not know the humility and the gentleness of our Master who has become one of us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for humility and his gentleness. We thank you that you are not a harsh master. 
But most of all, we thank you for Jesus who became one of us to take that burden upon himself, uh, to give us all that he deserves. But Lord, help all of us to see who you are, the great master and the Lord of the universe that you are. And Lord, would you even now give us humility, humility to come before you as your children, as people who want to learn from you and help us to follow you as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.